Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Antonia Quirk and welcome to Condé Nast Traveller's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on the island of Syros, which featured in the October 2020 issue of Condé Nast Traveller. I hope you enjoy it. From a distance, Syros is rocks and naked mountains. Come closer, a town studs two hills with vast neoclassical villas overhanging the Aegean and a church blue as a delphinium, full of icons so heavy it's as though the saints are staggering triumphantly through lava flows of molten Russian silver. Everywhere on this island's 32 square miles are remnants of a fervent history. Carved into its boulders are salutations made by ancient Greek sailors, thanking the gods for safe harbour. One chapel wedged into a cave, legend has it, was built by a fisherman saved by a giant octopus. Fragile lilies bloom through sand the colour of iron. On 19th century British admiralty maps, the letters Syros appear bigger than Greece. Under French protection during the Revolutionary War, Syros welcomed merchant refugees from other islands and they prospered, building thousands of ships, seminaries and schools, print works and theatres, Catholics worshipped up on the slopes and Greek Orthodox below. These days, with a bustling commercial shipyard and a population of around 30,000, it is a definitively working island, independent, utterly vivid, but with relatively few visitors. I ask Antonis, a local acquaintance, why... At a cafe on the corner of a square in the seaside capital of Amopoli, he dissolves a white lozenge of sugar into cardamom coffee. 
the 8am heat flickers brightly across his hands. Through a pecking crowd of sparrows, 85-year-old Father Alexandros, in black robes and a Kalimavkion hat, slowly swings a bag of breakfast cakes past immense palm trees towards storefronts piled with cherries and broom-cupboard-sized paper shops. White petals carpet the stones. Antonis reminds me that there are worse things than being a Greek island simply not like any other and wholly ignored by mass tourism. And he tells me again his best story, of the time that Greta Garbo came to visit his family. He was nine. She was in her sixties, still luminous as a silkscreen. A scooter passes us, wobbling with boxes of apricots, and over its low glissando, he remembers the way his well-to-do parents worried about what to say to the reclusive star precisely which glasses to use for the wine. Such stories are not rare on Syros. Queen Victoria loved the lukumi from here, a Turkish delight perfected in the 1700s when Syros was under the patronage of Sultan Abdul Hamid. Every year, a batch flavoured lightly with rose would be dispatched to Buckingham Palace, wrapped in a moistening shroud of seaweed, like a gift from Ulysses. I later head to the town port, where yachts nose ashore lined with immense 19th century ruins of warehouses and granaries, once full of flour and textiles, when this was a centre of trade. Odessa, Trieste, Marseille, Liverpool, Syros. Storerooms long turned into unassuming restaurants heave with outside tables and the warm buzz of their wives and mothers and children of shipbuilders waiting for their men to come off shift. Every surface cluttered with plates of chips and spinach and lamb chops, waitresses hooting. I've heard people say it's a shame the shipyard here is so unphotogenic, but they're wrong. It's the yard that makes the place so confident, gives it swagger. Syros doesn't need visitors. Bikini-seething Mykonos just over the water is talked of with something approaching pity, as though it were an embarrassingly dolled-up relative. Tides of teenage girls in biker boots, bare-legged in the salty dusk, lock arms and stomp up to the town hall, where their younger brothers loll on the huge marble steps playing Greek rap on their phones, laughter bouncing off flower-slung walls under the spreading yellow fuzz of street lamps. Stunningly, the alleyways towards the area of Vaporia look transported from Siena. Romantic, Renaissance and Pompeian eras combined in that grand tour style so adored by Byron, another lover of Syros. Vaporia, also known as Little Venice, is beautiful. But not in an oppressive way. You don't fear that you'll break something. There's immense grace and flourish in expensive details on the old merchants' houses, some part derelict, 
others minutely renovated. Liars wrought in fine iron on balustrades, wooden shutters, the colours of periwinkle and squeezed lime. Cornicing recalls a world of sophisticated comforts where every evening meant a carriage ride to the Apollon Theatre on Vardaka Square to sit in a plump velvet box beneath a ceiling painted with images of Dante. There are times, walking under a balcony shaped like a Botticelli sea maiden, or past crumbling salons lined with gilded mirrors mounted in the 1820s to catch candle displays at a ball. There are times that it's easy to forget this is, in fact, a small Greek island. On the map, no village on Syros is too far away. Its few miles are snug on the page. The island is shaped like the UK in miniature. But the roads here can be steep and sharp, clamouring with in-leaning grasses and purple flowers masking sheer drops, the soft, quiet light falling into gorges. I've never heard quite so many songbirds on the thermals as on Syros. And strange unlikely butterflies that look like crumpled wads of newsprint. They bash into the windscreen as my car fills with dandelion spores through the open windows. The crofted stone fields all around are in full beauty, butter-coloured flowers blurring in great pillowy masses and sparrowhawks circling fat grouse, which have black Zorro-like bands across their eyes and give an unusual call, like a rusted door creaking in a storm. Seen from the sea, Syros can look like a fortress, savage jags of copper, spiked cliffs in ochre and beetle-blue basalt, water a thousand shades of green. As I toil past after dawn one day on a little boat, beaches appear in a striking mercury shimmer. The sand is a metallic grey, although the cove at Agathopes is golden. Some are as small as a Hyde Park bandstand. Others, such as Delphini, are set with a thatched and ragged bar. Several can only be reached by boat, or foot. On the shore, I can see yawning children making dens in mounds of dried seaweed. Their families have been camping and forced out of tents early as the heat begins to descend. The morning already so pink flamingo flaring, it's like being woken with a shout. The fishing village of Kini is the prettiest. Water clear to the depths, rocking with tens of little vessels dedicated to St George. The houses along the front strung with beatnicky signs for rooms to let. Restaurants prepare lunches of fish roasted in rosemary that tastes sap green here, almost like eucalyptus. An oily, drugging fragrance that seems to seep into the sunlight, the landscape, the broadening day as men play board games and scooters wind down the pine-needle-carpeted sea road.
Dimitra Colatura, with her amber, almond-shaped eyes and fingers heavy with her grandmother's onyx rings, has spent most of her life between Syros and Athens. She makes clothes using silk embroidered on Crete and Argos, lustrous folkloric dresses constructed with the fine formality of Doric columns. When we meet late one afternoon for a drink in Hermopoli, I tell her that I'm staying in a a grand old merchant's villa around the corner, hovering right above the sea, where the harbour sweeps towards the public Lido, Asteria. She nods and laughs. Oh, that's the place where we had my daughter's christening party. It was a lobster restaurant for a while. Oh, the floorboards, so cracked and old, you could see through them right down to the water. It's a very common phrase here. Antonis is always saying it. Oh, that's the place that was built by my great-great-grandfather for his daughter, or... Oh, that's the place that sold amaranth pie. Everyone seems to have a connection to each building, family stories about each dish, each street, each paint-peeled door with its knocker moulded into the shape of a refined lady's wrist. On Demetra's wrist is a torque shaped like the golden fleece, that Honor Blackman might have worn, playing Hera, observing from Mount Olympus the deep foolishness of humans in Jason and the Argonauts. A few doors down, Raphaelos, his shirt powdered with dust, shuts up his antique shop, crammed with 78s of Donizetti and photographs of old dignitaries and legless dressing tables garlanded by tin flowers. Meanwhile, Andrew Street is coming to life. A gorgeous sweep set back from the port, its tables overhung with bougainvillea that blazes, so scarlet, the whole scene looks like a coral reef. Thin cats nuzzle the cobbles. The restaurants along here are the best in town. At one, A handsome chef with grill marks along his brown arms listens to Portishead, while staff reverently watch him plate up snow-white anchovies and salads of wild berries as though he were a heart surgeon. At another, there's island wine that tastes of chamomile and strawberry and cocktails created from ozu and rosewater and ice cream flavoured with star anise and hibiscus that sells out in 30 minutes flat. Then the proprietor sits outside all evening, frowning over recipe books. One Sunday, a northwest wind gets up and all is very clear, very blue. I drive to Anosiros, the old high Catholic capital, where islanders fled to escape Saracen pirates in 1208, building a fortified settlement on a conic hill with stones brought back from the fields. Coiling cobbled alleyways and stairways twisting and leading nowhere, seeing out the millennia buffeted by the Mistral with views way down to the port. Mykonos is a thumb smudge on the horizon. I enter the town on foot, slipping up the white slits of streets, 
and I don't pass a soul for ages, not a glint of movement, but keep thinking I can hear sandaled feet slapping just beyond. The church-like acoustics of this place make everything feel like a remembered dream. Pots of geranium and jasmine, handmade chimneys, sharp turn-offs, dead ends. Halfway up, I catch something wonderful, and I pause to take it in, on the air, singing. And the sense of a crowd somewhere. And the distinct twang of a bazooki. I rummage through my bag from my recording device, and I follow the sound to another lane, and round a corner, to the doorway of a taverna, and duck inside. And there, everybody is. The whole village, it seems, eating stuffed vine leaves and shreds of crusty bread and toasting the day with ozu. Old men with their fingers laced tap booted feet, smiling and showing the odd gold-capped tooth. Ravishing young men shake great heads of black curls and raise more glasses of reiki. Their girlfriends roll cigarettes and lean woozily against their shoulders. The whole room smells of burnt sage, everybody swaying to a 1920s Greek ballad that translates to something like, I will come and wake you. Nobody else will see us. Come to your window, I beg you. And then the bazooki strikes up again with its unmistakable, semi-Arabic quality, full of a nervous energy. And the player is so skilled. He takes a little thematic cell and then he builds out from that, embellishing it over and over, playing against the beat. That gorgeously spiky and angular sound. He's like Angel Romero meets Jimmy Page. And it's as if the room, the town, the island have been plucked out of the everyday temporal continuum and held for a while. And I stand there in a 
bliss of finding myself in precisely the right place at the right time as everyone now sings again with tightly closed eyes, seemingly to someone beloved but long lost on a distant hill. It is the grease of anybody's dreams. Fresh rows of shot glasses are lined up. The barman counts out crumpled money as the light gently fades. Much later, when I leave, the stone acres around are swooped over by skylarks. And in the field that falls sheer to a drop at the end of the lane comes a little gathering of goats with clanking bells jumping behind their goat herd from rock to rock under a sunset as vivid as a fantasy of poppies. This podcast is sponsored by the Greek National Tourism Organization. From slow living islands to cutting edge cities, Greece is an amalgam of breathtaking landscapes, sandy beaches, mouth watering food and wine, and centuries of culture. It is an all-time favourite holiday destination, steeped in myth and legend. For more information, see visitgreece.gr forward slash inspirations forward slash all dash you dash want dash is dash Greece. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.